So 3% of all people on online dating apps get 50% of the matches, right? So the 3% most attractive, the next 47% get the rest of the matches. They split the, the remaining 50%, which means that the bottom 50% get no matches. Welcome to the New Age Sage Podcast, where you come to free your mind from all the things that keep you in suffering. Today's guest is Sean Galanos. He is a love expert. We get into all things how to succeed in dating and also how to have better sexual relationships. You're going to love it. Please like and subscribe. Thank you. Sean, welcome on the show. Thanks, Lucas. Great to be here. So I've realized in my in my life that wisdom is unfortunately earned through trials, tribulations, and situations. So for all the romantic wisdom you possess, how much of that comes off the tail end of your suffering or bad situations? I mean, all of it. I, and I wouldn't call any of them like bad situations. I don't like the negative positive. I like pleasant, unpleasant, you okay. know, challenging, easy. But uh, all of it. I mean, that's that's the reason I started this work is because I was struggling in relationships and I couldn't figure out why things were so hard, why we couldn't be honest about what we wanted, um, why people were playing games. And I've, I've sort of like tried to do something different, right? I tried yeah. to be super honest and super vulnerable and authentic about what I wanted. And the results sort of spoke for themselves. You know, things kind of got easier for me. And I'm now in a place where I like, I create the kind of content that I wish I had growing up, mm -hmm. right? Or that I need reminding of today. So I still need help with relationships. I still have unpleasant experiences. I'm still learning this stuff on a daily basis. For sure. Same here. Why do you think you were, what were the main reasons you were struggling initially? Like when you were really going through it romantically? Uh, well, I mean, choosing partners that weren't available is probably one of them, right? And so I became really anxious and really like wanting them to show up for me in ways that they weren't able to, right? So I was making unrealistic demands and I had unrealistic expectations about how people could show up for me. Um, I wasn't speaking up for what I wanted. And so I would sort of wait around hoping that things would work out in my favor and then I'd get resentful when they didn't. So those are a couple of the things that I've struggled with in the past. What's that line you think of when to reveal what you want? Is there like a window? Should you wait? It's a tough thing to navigate because sometimes you don't know and you're stuck in that space of not really knowing what to do. When do you recommend to, to state that in, the, in a romantic union or in a courtship phase? Yeah, I think uh, honestly, I think it's like the it's like the law of salting food. Do it early and often. Hmm. Right. So I, I don't think there's a time. I don't think there's any too soon to talk about what you want. I think there's a too soon to like jump into something too committed, right? Like, yeah, it's too soon to tell someone you love them after the second date for sure. Mm -hmm. But it's not too soon to say, Hey, I want like a committed relationship. That's what I'm looking for. I don't necessarily want it with you. Like maybe that's an option. Who knows? Let's take it, you know, day by day, but just know that that is what I'm looking for. Right. I don't think there is a too soon for that. And you could totally mm -hmm. say that on the first date. And I don't think that should be a problem or particularly scary. It's scary to people who don't want a committed relationship. And even then they could be like, cool, thank you for letting me know. That's not what I'm available for or what I'm looking for. So I think we should just part ways. Right. Like it actually will save you heartache in the long run if you're open and honest about what you want from the get go.
What do you, what do you think is stopping that honesty? What's refraining us from being honest with what we want? Oh, fear, fear that we're not going to get what we want, fear that we're going to push people away, fear that um, they are going to say, ew, no, no, ew, I don't want that, you know? Yeah. And so people take rejection very personally, and and that makes sense. Like, I, I sort of do the same thing. But if you think about it, it's really not that personal. And they're not saying no to you as a, a whole person. They're just saying no to you, to the thing that you want, right? So mm-hmm. if what, you know, take the, the example of commitment, if commitment is what you want, then um, they're saying no to commitment, not to no to you as a whole individual. But but we take it very personally and we internalize it. And the the internal di- dialogue is that I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. No one's ever going to want to be with me, right? And that's not really the truth. What's been your journey? Like what's been your journey with getting a hold on rejection? Like, how's that been for you? How have you gotten to a place where you might be okay with it when it happens? Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I don't take it personally. And, uh, I think I've gotten really used to asking for what I want to, you know, to, to a really extreme degree. And what happens when you do that, when you become really direct about what you want and you ask people, some people are going to say no, right? So you will experience more rejection, but you'll also experience more of what you're looking for, right? That's the flip side of asking for what you want is that you get people, um, to say that, that say eventually say yes, right? You find the right people. So uh, rejection resilience is the ability to uh, not internalize rejection, walk away from it, knowing that you're still a good person, that you're still worthy of love. Um, and that's not to say that it's not going to hurt. Like it does sting. But I think what's important is that we learn that we're not going to die from it. Right. I don't think anyone has ever died from rejection. Some people say, like, oh yeah, this, you know, you can die from a heartbreak. And it's like, okay, there might be like two or three cases of people dying from heartbreak, you know, like the couple that's been together for 40 years, and then one person dies, the next dies like a week later. But for the most part, you're not gonna die from being rejected. You know, it's gonna sting, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna bring up a bunch of old stories traumas, you know, about uh, how you were abandoned as a child or how your parents were never there for you or how every time you open up, somebody leaves you. And yet still, you're going to be okay. Right. For sure. It's also that we're, we're attaching our self-worth to random people. It's a strange thing we do that instead of getting it from ourselves and our internal world and from the people we love, we automatically place it onto some random person we just met. It's a, it's a pretty crazy thing that we do. Yeah. And and also if, if you have low self-worth, esteem, value, and love, right? The internal needs, no amount of reassurance or external validation will ever be enough to fill the hole, right? And so you're setting people up for failure because they're never going to be able to show up to the level that's going to soothe you in the way that you need to be soothed, right? And so that means Uh, That means you have a lot of work to do. You have a lot of internal work to do with therapists, with coaches, uh, with self-help stuff, um, with building a big life outside of romance um, to come and and meet those needs for for worth and and value and respect and love. Yeah. How was your journey with that? Did you ever struggle with that part specifically of, um, you know, attaching self-worth to other people or not feeling like you were enough exactly? What was your journey like with that and maybe healing that to where you are now? I mean, the biggest thing I did was I quit drinking and doing mm-hmm. drugs when I was 25, right? So like for me, I was using drugs and alcohol to soothe 
the pain, the internal pain of just existence, right? Existence was painful for me. I was always like an emotional child, this little small emotional boy. And I didn't know what to do with all those emotions. And uh, so when I discovered drugs and alcohol, I just went really deep in it. And um, it took a lot of facing the music and realizing that I was an alcoholic and that I was using these substances. And so I had to, I had to, I had to give it up. I had to quit. And then what happened was I was faced with a ton of emotions, right? And just not knowing what to do with myself. And then slowly, slowly over time, I was able to kind of deal with all of these little wounds in therapy. And I started building a life that I was proud of. Um, and that that's not to say that my relationships were amazing, you know, like some of them were good, some of them were not that good. Um, but I think on the whole, I was growing. So for me, that's that was my personal journey was just like getting sober and and like stop running from the void of whatever was going on inside me. How were you? How did you go about not getting addicted to love? Because I think it's almost more addicting than certain drugs. How do you manage that piece of not attaching your addiction to romance and romantic situations? I mean, I think for a long time I did. You know, so like I think for uh, for when I quit drinking, I think I replaced it with exercise, food, caffeine, nicotine, and sex and relationships, right? And it's like, okay, are those the healthiest replacements? Like, no, but they're also not crack cocaine and alcohol, right? So I think for a while I just tried not to judge the fact that I, I didn't even know that I was using all these other substances to just to for sort of fill the void. But then the longer you stay sober, the longer um, you start realizing your impact on other people and how relationships are impacting you. So yeah, I think for a long time, I just did it. you know. And I think that if you're in a situation where uh, you're using relationships or sex to feel better, like understand that it's probably okay to a certain degree until it doesn't work for you anymore. Um and, you know, I guess the advice there is like, try to be honest with people as much as possible, like, like try not to mislead people. Um, and, you know, the reality is that that's, that's always going to happen. There's going to be some misleading people unintentionally um, when you haven't done the work to figure out like what your motivations are, or why you're doing what you're doing or why you're attracted to or connected to the people that you are. How did your romantic life feel change or improve once you fill that void yourself once you were going to romantic romantic life from a a full cup like how did it feel different how did it how did it manage itself differently uh it just felt less like i felt less grabby and like anxious right i was able to love with an open hand and uh i was able to accept situations for what they were I didn't fight reality as much, right? I sort of just understood that these are two people coming together, doing the best they can with their stories, wounds, traumas, triggers, desires, needs, hopes, dreams, fears. And that like, that's pretty complex, right? So um, I think I just learned to like love with an open hand. I think that's that's the main takeaway that I got. Yeah, in that I kind of noticed in attraction what's attractive to most people is some form of, of non-neediness like you don't need them for to for something um do you, do you agree with that like do you think that there's some level of, a, of attractive power in like not needing them as much for your own validation yeah. in a way i mean I, I think yeah i mean if you're not desperate that is an attractive quality 
right? If, if you're feeling really, really needy and desperate about love and relationships and you need someone to come and fill the void, that's not going to be a very attractive quality. Um, I heard somewhere, I think it was M. Scott Peck in his book, The Road Less Traveled. And he said that love is um, not needing to be with someone, but choosing to be with them, even though you don't need them. Right. And I think that's kind of a really beautiful way of describing relationships. For sure. Well, how do you feel about all the advice nowadays online or out there about seduction and, you know, how to play a game and how to manipulate? How do you feel about that in your heart? How do you feel? How do you feel about it? Me? Not good. (laughs) Yeah. I I just think it's, it's, if you're playing a game, like for attraction, it's manipulation. It's fucked up. I get it. But in terms of relationships, uh, the jig will eventually be up in some way. Like if you're being, if you're putting a persona on, uh, out of wounding, the the jig will go up eventually, and you'll be stuck to wearing a mask. If you stay in it, and once it goes away, you're gonna get hurt. So you're saving yourself from rejection. Tell us when they get rejected for someone you're not. It's a strange yeah. thing. I mean that's that's interesting. I like I like where you went there. Um, I think the thing with games is that no one knows the rules, right? So people are playing different games and some people are playing no games. And so it gets really, really confusing. If you're looking at like seduction pickup stuff, like for that stuff to work, uh, everyone has to be on the same page and they're not. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and I also like what you said that like, eventually, you, you know, the mask has to come off. And so when you're not acting authentically and you're playing a game or you're doing what you think you should be doing to get them to like you, that is first of all, a ton of work. Right. It's way less work to just be yourself, you know, and I think that's where the the advice like be yourself and you're like, okay, how do I do that? It's literally like, just try to be the authentic version of yourself. Like be nice, right? If you're on dates, be nice. But um, if somebody likes you for who you are, then you don't have to work. You just have to show up. And that's way better than trying to figure out who does this person <clears throat> want me to be? And I get it. Like if you don't have a lot of experience with relationships or sex or um, intimate connection, you might be tempted to do stuff to get what you want. I get the, I get the motivation, but in the long run, like you said, the jig is going to be up and um, you'll be discovered for not being as authentic as you could have been. Yeah. I, I believe that there's to some extent, there's no wrong move for the right person. Like all, all my exes or people that I've really liked like as long as I wasn't being insane you know I, I nothing would have mattered like sending a longer text or two three text or calling like it with the right person doesn't fucking matter that's true yeah double texting triple texting if they like you they like you and they're not going to like read into it you know I think it it gets tricky when it's like the new stages and we don't want to seem too overbearing and um, we want to seem cool. And it's like, look, I got to tell you, man, the cool girl, cool guy thing is overrated. It's really what? overrated. Because we're, we we all want connection, right? It's like one of the, it's like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, community and connection is like one of the base needs right above safety. So like we're social animals. We want, we we need to be attached to people. And so this like, this attitude of like, I don't really need you, whatever, isn't great for fostering connection, right? Like I don't want to spend time with people now. Now I don't want to spend time with people who don't want to spend time with me growing up. 
I, I like wanted to get people to like me, you know, if there was someone was like aloof, that really turned me on. Right. Because there was yep. some sort of chase dynamic there that, that I had to conquer. Yep. Um, but now like I'm too old for that shit. <laughs> it's like, Oh, you don't want to, you don't want to open up. Cool. Like there's other people to do and I'll, and I don't, I don't really want to work for love. You know? Yeah. I think one of the, what you're referring to, one of the things I notice, I notice in myself and other people is this kind of sniper mentality when we like someone that, that, you know, they are, the only person for us. Therefore, like we yeah. get so f- afraid of fucking up or, or things like that, that we can't imagine the abundance of other people out there for us. So we, you know, get yeah. super emotional and anxious if things might be going wrong. How do you see that? How often do you see that play out? Like people just thinking that the person they like is the only person I like them. And they create this whole story in their mind of how that person's the one. Yeah. I mean, that's super common. It's, and, and that's what really gets people stuck in breakups, right? They're like, uh, I'll never meet anybody like that. Well, newsflash, you're right. You won't. That's that's a unique person right there. And you had a unique love. You will meet somebody else and the love will have a different flavor and that's okay, right? So it's hard. It's hard, especially if you don't have a lot of experience. Like I've been really fortunate. I think in love, I've had like really fantastic uh, partners, Um I've definitely had like dry spells where I'm just like, well, I guess I'm never dating again, you know, but I, <laughs> but I have enough experience to know that like, I will eventually find a new person to be with. If you don't have that, it can be really hard to trust that that's going to happen. Yeah. Right. So you're going to really think like, no, this was it. That was the person and they're gone. Right. Love has passed me by. And that's a hard place to be. Right. Because it's a very defeatist there's a lack of abundance, it's a scarcity mentality. Um, and it's not particularly helpful for fostering new connections. But I understand how people get there. Yeah, I was in that process like about a couple months ago. I got out, out of a three-year relationship and you know, I, I had that mentality of like she was perfect. I can't find anyone like her. And it led me on a, on a personal journey of realizing how much I was projecting onto her, of you know, how I depended on her to like. I attached my happiness to her, that she was responsible for me, me feeling good. I kind of, you know, Carl Jung, the psychoanalyst, has a theory that we project our souls onto our lovers, that, that we unconsciously, that we think, we unconsciously perceive them as God in some way, that they were responsible yeah. for our, all, all our livelihood and all, all our well-being. And it was a tough lesson, but I learned how to give that to myself in some way. I learned how to, you know, give that, feel that energy into, in, internally rather than, than constantly needing it in others. It was a tough lesson, but I wish people can get there. Through that, through that experience, learning to give themselves what they gave the one power to give them in some way internally. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think I had a mantra on my mirror once that said, uh, give yourself the love you so desperately seek from others. Yeah. What Man. does that look like to you in your journey, like giving yourself love? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think it just means, you know, first of all, there, there has to be some positive self-talk Mm-hmm. Right. I think we need to cut out. Okay. Actually, you know what? Let me back up. If um, I think there needs to be a, a, a significant reduction in negative self-talk, right? You're a loser. You're an asshole. No one will ever want to be with you. You can't do anything right. You can't stop fucking eating ice cream. You can't go to the gym. That shit's, you got to cut that out. Right. Because we will say things to ourselves that we would never, ever say to anybody else. Let alone like on my desk right here, I have somewhere here. 
I have a photo of me as a five-year-old child, right? Right here. And it's like, whenever I think negative thoughts about myself, I, I go, I would never say this to this person mm. in a million years. You never call five-year-old version of you a dumbass, right? Yeah. Um, even though sometimes your parents did, right? And that's why we have like, that's why we kind of feel stupid sometimes because our parents weren't really able to love us the way we, we wish they could. So there has to be some some elimination of the negative self-talk, right? Which is just like, every time you catch yourself talking badly about yourself, you you cut it out and you go, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. It's not true. You're actually yeah. doing the best you can right now. So I think that's one piece of like, how can you give yourself the love that you wish others or that you so desperately seek from others? Um, and then eventually you can actually start turning that into like positive self-talk, like, yeah, you're great. You're totally going to fall in love. You're crushing it at work. People love being around you. You're really good at what you do. You're a great friend. You're a great brother, sibling, you know, like all that kind of stuff that, that does actually make a difference. And I'm not talking about like <clears throat> mantras, you know, or I'm just, I'm just talking about like in your daily life, like be nice to yourself, right? Be loving and kind towards yourself. I think that's a huge piece of it. Yeah. It's one thing I've been integrating is this concept that it sounds simple that that we self-inflict suffering that we, we we have the power to bully ourselves and cause ourselves deep pain and that is a choice to some degree obviously you know certain thoughts are automatic but the one after is our choice so it's like at one point we have to realize that we do choose to bully ourselves so it's a conscious yeah. choice we make after yeah. we notice a thought of a happening that's a pretty wild thing to think about because the world is so yeah, cold you know, and hard in so many ways I think our brain is supposed to is like I forget what the number is, but it's like generate somewhere between forty and eighty thought eighty thousand thoughts a day. Mm. But most of it is garbage. Yeah. It's just total drivel. It's mindless, useless stuff, right? So we don't have to believe everything we think. Um, a lot of it is garbage. You know, we have very few like original, kind, loving thoughts. Um, so I just try not to think about <laughs> all that shit too much. Especially in romance, like it brings up the the darkest, depraved, most painful thoughts, uh, especially, you know, and, and how we project it onto a partner, how we get like selfish that way in, in, in romance, whether it be, you know, jealousy or wanting to control that we end up projecting all of our shit outwards to some degree. Yeah, it's hard, man. I think love is really hard. Um, people are like, oh, love is easy. You know, it's like, well... Yeah, I think it's pretty complex and I think we just don't have the tools for the most part, you know, like our role models didn't do a great job of showing us what it looks like. Um, we have zero relationship education in the United States. Uh, Europe is a little bit better. Like they, um, they start talking about sex at a younger age. They start talking about emotions at a younger age. Um, some schools in the United States are doing like socio, um, socio-emotional learning, right? So they are like starting to talk about this stuff, but for the most part, you know, we're just sort of like practicing on each other, which is kind of wild to think of, right? Sure. Like try not to do harm, try not to hurt people, but you know, we are kind of fumbling along doing the best we can. Some people have more tools, right? Some people read some self-help books, listen to great podcasts, um, have a kinder disposition, but for the most part, we're just bumbling around you know, learning on each other. And that's wild to think about. Yeah, for me, for me, I try and perceive love as a mirror to see where I'm not free in many ways. Like if I have to, you know, if I have a desire to control a partner or change your behavior in some way, 
I really look at it, it's immediately it has nothing to do with them. It's something in me, some trauma in me, some fear in me, some something going on in my system that I'm projecting outwards. And I, I constantly see it as a mirror to heal what's come up internally. And that's the biggest piece I'll, I'll, I'll tell people in some ways is just to not like see it always as a them issue. It's, it's, it's showing you an issue within yourself that's blocking you from, from personal freedom. Yeah, that we just did. I just did this retreat in Sedona on on trusting love, and and on one of our last exercises, we did um, mandala breath work, which is breath work uh, while engaged in eye contact with someone else in the retreat, and for five minutes, right? So pretty mm-hmm. intense practice for a lot of people. And w- one of the things that the practitioner said was like what you see in the other person, right? So if you start feeling like deep, deep love for this stranger, um, basically that's a mirror, right? You're feeling deep, deep love about yourself or towards yourself. Um, If you feel resentment or anger or pain, like it is a mirror to what's happening inside you because the other person is just, they're just a placeholder, right? You don't know them, right? These are total strangers. Um, so it's kind of beautiful to the, to think of relationships as mirrors into what's going on for us or where we need to do a little bit more work or or where we're healed or healing. Have you ever thought about this? It's often like a, when I'm in a weird mood contemplating the complexities of life, I'll think about how, you know, if you say I love you to someone or a partner, that it's not like, it's strange. Do you really love them or is it awakening something in you that you're noticing? I can't like just like, you know, attach love to someone else. It's like, it's bringing it up within me. Therefore, it's like kind of helping me love myself. It's it's a strange thing to think about, but. Yeah. And you have the capacity to love, right? That's the beautiful thing about unrequited love or like these crushes with people that don't have a crush on you is that uh, that could be really sad. You know, like, oh, I love this person who doesn't love me, but I, I don't see it as sad. I see it as like, oh, how wonderful. Like you have the capacity to love. Yeah. And so unfortunately this person isn't, able or willing or wants to love you, but that speaks more to your capacity than anything else than, or their lack of capacity. So I love unrequited love. I think it's, it's a great teacher, you know, and reminding us that we still got it. You know, you got this. Yeah, for sure. Uh, What would you, I think right now we're living in the most weird, fucked up, complex dating world. I think we've been in, especially with all the online apps and social media, all this stuff. We're in, we're in strange territory. So what would your some of your advice be to a you know a single man, young single man nowadays or start start there? Like what can they do to to make things work for themselves? Well, I so I think I think I'll speak a little bit more broadly first on the dating landscape. I've been using dating apps since like OkCupid since the beginning, you know. Um and I like them. I think they're they're a great tool to get better at dating. And and nowadays they are the preferred way of meeting people, which I think is a little problematic. I think we we've lost the art of like talking to humans, you know? Um, but the problems with online dating is that depending on where you live, there is choice paralysis, right? Just a lot of options, Uh, not necessarily that you have access to, but there's a lot of options out there. And so that makes it harder to choose. There's the grass is greener issue right? Like you go on a date with someone, you go, yeah, they're good. Yeah. This is a great, this is a great person, but I could do better. Right. And this, this idea that you can do better is actually very detrimental to attachment and to connection. 
mm-hmm. because it prevents you from actually exploring the thing that's right in front of you. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> you know, if the relationship or the person that you're dating is like kind and funny and likes you and you are aligned in a few ways, that should be enough to give it a go. Mm. Right. But I think people really want a big spark, big chemistry, a big Hollywood romance. And unfortunately, that isn't an indicator of long-term relationship stability or happiness, right? Like a lot, like red hot chemistry is super exciting. It's really fun. It's also kind of like a drug, right? There's For sure. yeah. what, whatever comes up, you know, what must, what goes up must come down and you are going to come down from, from these kinds of highs. So uh, I think those are some of the issues with online dating. The other issue being that like, uh, I think it's 3%, the top, so 3% of all people on online dating apps get 50% of the matches, right? So the 3% most attractive, the, the, the next 47% get the rest of the matches. They split the, the remaining 50%, which means that the bottom 50% get no matches. So I think that can be a really depressing experience for a young man or young woman uh, trying to date and getting zero matches, right? Or getting catfished or bots, right? And so that's going to turn people off and that's going to really like, you know, if you don't have a good sense of self and if you're a young man, you probably don't yet have a great sense of self because you're still picking that stuff up, right? You're mm-hmm. like wisdom is experience, not, not taught. Um, so that's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. That's why I think the dating apps are not the end all be all and shouldn't be the only way that we meet people, right? Like you got to meet people doing group activities, sports, things that make you happy in your daily life, at school, at work. Like we really do have to practice the muscle of like talking to strangers in a non-creepy way. Um, And I think people are really, really scared. I think men, some men are, you know, after me too, are just like, oh, I'm not talking to women. I'm just, Mm. it's just not happening. Unless I meet her online, I'm not talking to women, right? And I think we need to kind of, that's the pendulum has swung a little too far in the other direction. Um, so yeah, that's, those are some of the issues I think maybe plaguing young men, um, around dating and, and online dating. Yeah. I even noticed that in, in myself, like I, I have no problem signing any DM, but the minute I have to like approach a girl, I think is beautiful. It's like, I just, something in me freezes, like so much fear comes up. I think it's, it's because of that. I, I end up don't, I end up not doing it most of the time because I'll, my ego in the back of my head is like, oh, you know, I can just DM some girl. I don't have to do this. And if it, if most men are scared of it, it's something they should should overcome because it reflects some level of low self-worth that you're putting someone else's opinion above yours and you don't even fucking know them and you're scared of their opinion of you. Yeah. And it's like, you know, get at, try to get out of your head just a little bit. Like who knows what the response is going to be. Could be great. Could be lukewarm. Could be a total blow off. <laughs> um, it's presumptuous of you to know how someone's going to react. And, and, um, and I, I agree with you. I still, you know, whenever I talk to a stranger, you know, that I find attractive, even just like in a friendly capacity, right? Not to ask them out. Um, it's hard. It's 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 hard. It's not easy, right? There's a fear of rejection, fear of looking awkward, fear of uh, looking creepy. 
Uh, it's, you know, a fear of not wanting to interrupt or, or disturb anybody. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot there to like overcome. There's a lot there to overcome. Yeah, I, I always uh, and, ask myself, what would, what, would, what would life look like if I truly didn't give a fuck? I see so much freedom. You ever think about that? Like, what, what would happen if I just didn't give a fuck? If I just approach, I wanted to approach, texted, I didn't want to text. And I didn't like the rejection didn't kill me in some way. Yeah, I think it's nice. Uh, I think, you know, fear is good in certain doses, right? Like it prevents us from being embarrassed, from getting hurt, from doing the wrong thing. But I think we're probably a little, our, our trigger is a little too sensitive with fear. Um, as long as we're kind and respectful, we can pretty much do whatever we want. Um, I, I made a post on Instagram about... Uh, I asked women, do you want to be approached in public if, uh, as long as it's kind and respectful, right? And it was like 80% said yes. So then I made, so that was a poll and then I turned it into a post and I wanted to hear people's experiences, right? And, and we can link to this in the show notes um, just to, so that you can get an idea of where people are coming from. And there is no rule here. You've got some people, you've got some women that are like, yeah, please approach me in public. I'm dying. No one's talked to me in public for years. And then you have other women saying, do not approach me in public under any fucking circumstance. I will not respond well. I'm going to yell, whatever. So it's like, holy shit, how are we supposed to move forward? How are we supposed to navigate in this landscape? And sure, there's some element of like, read the room. What's their body language saying? Are they giving you a death stare? Or are they like, you know, looking open and smiley, right? These are things that are going to help you figure out whether you should go for it. But ultimately, it's sort of like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, right? So what does that mean for the individual person? Eh, give it a shot, you know? Try to do it kind, respectful, non-attached to the outcome. And this post was really helpful because it told people like, yeah, do it, but also don't be attached to to any sort of expression or response, right? Like do it with an open hand. And if it, if it's reciprocated, great. And if it's not just say, cool, have a great day and walk away. Right. Yeah, creating, so, a, creating, creating a concrete example. What would a, a good approach look like? Good, respectful one. A good approach would be, uh, there's a whole bunch of them, but like, if it's at a party, it could be like just walking up to someone saying like, Oh, Hey, I haven't met you yet. Hmm. Straight up. That's it. So like, um, if you're at a party or an event or a meetup where the, it's like they're or networking where people are talking straight up, I haven't met you yet, which, which says I'm here to meet people. And this is the most normal thing in the world. That's it. Right. Um, if it's like out in public, these are tougher to pull off, but I think if there's a shared experience, right, the example I always go for is if you you're waiting in line for coffee and you see someone spill their coffee, you could say like, oh, wow, that guy's going to have a bad day. That's it. How do they respond, right? So what you've done is you've created an opening. You've opened the door a little bit, and then they decide whether they shut the door, open it more, or just leave it ajar, right? And so it could be that. It could be as simple as, as like saying like, what's exciting in your world to someone working retail? right? To a cashier, to like a flight attendant, what's exciting in your world. All of these are small bids for connection, right? None And none of this is like, hey, baby, I saw you from across the park. You're so fucking fly, right? Like, 
um, God, just like dated myself there a little bit. I would, I don't think I've ever called anybody fly, but there's a difference between being open for connection and hitting on somebody, right? If you, I mean, if you notice in all my examples, none of them are, are, um, complimenting their looks. None of them are overtly flirty or romantic, or even like, Hey, can I give you my phone number? Like, that's kind of a weird thing to say to a stranger that you haven't talked to, or I'd love to go out with you, right? Like we need to establish some rapport before we get there. I'm going to give you a break to digest all this amazing information. And in this break, please like, comment and subscribe. Thank you. What's tough here, and I think I just, talking to you brought this point up for me, is that every woman or man has such a subjective experience and expectations of what they like that it's almost impossible to play a perfect game. So is there even a reason to play a game? Because everyone's expectations are so fucking different that is it even worth it at the end of the day? Like, like if you engineer it, like, is it even statistically even worth it at all? No. Do your thing. Yeah. Just do your thing. And, that, and that's like... Uh... I, I did another post on, uh, I said, basically the lean in for the first kiss is over. Right. So like no more leaning in, you got to ask, you know, you got to say something like, I'd love to make out with you, or I'd love to give you a kiss, or do you want to make out? And half the women were like, yes, absolutely. That's so fucking hot. Right. Someone that can like verbalize what they want. I love that. And then the other half were like, ew, turn off. Ew, don't like just be a man, be a man, right? Fucking be a man and go for it. And it's like, oh, be a man and like maybe like assault somebody or like maybe make someone super, super uncomfortable by leaning in when they're like totally not giving you kiss vibes. Um, and some women were like, just, you know, read the room look at body language and it's like, oh man, some people are so bad at, at like letting you know non-verbally what they want, right? And other people are really bad at decoding that language. So we're supposed to have some shared understanding of like, you know, kiss body language. Like, yes, I want you to kiss me sort of body language. And so, you know, to your point, there are all sorts of different strategies here. Um, so find one that works for you, find one that is in line with your values. And for me, asking for a kiss is in line with my values. Right. And if that turns somebody off, like I literally don't care if me asking you, okay, if you wanted to kiss me and then I asked you if you wanted to kiss and that turned you off. Well, first of all, that makes no sense to me. And second of all, we're not, we're not a good fit. We're not a good fit. Right. So it's hard. Again, this is like super complex. Like, why complex. is this so I'm hard? A, this is why it's. I'm a I'm a launcher. I just go for it, <laughs> and it's not. You go for it. it. I go for it, but it's um, it's like a fifty percent hit rate. Like most of the time, as you said, sometimes the the girls are just like super into, and sometimes it's like, huh? But it ends up working out usually. But <laughs> I should probably do do your strategy. Yeah. What's your hit rate? Seventy. No, like probably. No, I I I only launch like for me at least. I'll say this. I'll, when I launch, it's like. I know for a fact they like me. Like right. I'm not. I I never do it like just like fucking random. If yeah. I know they like me, I'll do it. But even then, it's like fifty percent will be like super like into it. The other half will be like, what the fuck? But then they'll laugh it off and it'll be okay. But yeah, that's a that's a pretty high rate of what the fuck. <laughs> but it ends up wor- wor- working out usually in, in some way. It's like a endearing like 
Whoa. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, yeah. I, I did. Um, I had a podcast episode with this woman, Allison Ash, who is, uh, well, she's, I don't know. She does a lot of like, like uh, conscious seduction stuff. And for her, her move was um, that you lean in just imperceptively, like two degrees. Mm. And then you've got the eyes, right? So it sort of like energetically sig- signals like a kiss might be coming, right? And so that might be a strategy to like increase your hit rate is to like slow down <laughs> the initial approach you know, I, to I get do that. nonverbal I- buy-in. I do that more so now. I learned my lessons. I, I do that more so now. Um, well, but, I'd love uh, to invite you to try the the other uh, the other way to see if that ever works, you know, for you or if, if it feels good, and say something like, um, "I'd really love to kiss you," right? Which is actually not a question. It's it's an expression of interest. It's yeah. It's just you saying what you would love, and then they'll they'll probably be like, "Ooh, that sounds fun," or like, "I want to do that, but I'm not quite ready." And you're like, "All right, cool, no problem." Yeah, I'm gonna. That's my gonna... invitation to you. Let me know how it goes. I'll try it. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a more selfish question to get your knowledge on. I I I think I have a pretty easy good time talking to people, a woman in in, in person. I'm I'm kind of good at that. But then texting, I'm kind of like, what the fuck? I have I have absolutely no idea what's the right thing. And I ask a lot of a lot of men that are friends, like, and they're all in the same boat. They're all it's like texting is like a weird thing to to understand or or get a grip on romantically. What's your take on the whole texting thing it's like an integral like i'll say like fuck texting i want to call you but then texting is such an integral part of dating nowadays you have to be able to do it in some some way yeah man yeah texting's tough uh try not to be too witty Mm. i think there's this like desire to be the wittiest person in the room and 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 that's one of the things that i dislike about online dating is that like if you're not funny on the first message like you're done you know, you're fucking dead in the water. And that's like not somebody I don't want. I don't want that pressure. Yeah. Right. Especially if you're not a witty person, like to have to like be super witty. So like, again, try to be yourself, try to be engaging, try to ask questions. I think what I hear from women is that like dudes aren't asking questions. Right. They're they're not really skilled conversationally at keeping a conversation going. So I think more than anything is like, can you keep the conversation going? Um, can you ask questions about themselves? Can you, you know, if they share a story, can you use that as an opportunity to be like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Like I totally relate to that. I had a similar thing happen to me. Can you keep the conversation going? Um, you know, all day texting is exhausting and Mm -hmm. I don't have time for it. And I think most people don't have time for it. Some people really need it. Right. So, uh, there's also this element that like people have different preferences around communication. Some people really, really need like all day texting or a good morning text and a good night text. And other people are like, ah, I could do without it. You know, like, I'll just see you on Wednesday. Cool. Today's Sunday. I'll see you on Wednesday. Those people are probably maybe feel more secure or they have more like, you know, object permanence, like, uh, I know that you exist. I know that you're there. I know that we're going to see each other. So I actually don't need to be reminded that you love me or that we're in a relationship together because I just, I, I feel secure in our connection. Uh, that's a little bit of a tangent, but texting, texting's hard. Um, 
but you know, like you said, if it's the right person, you can do no wrong. Yeah. My, the thing I noticed is that again, cause everyone's so different. Some women are men. I don't know. I, I know about women. I don't know more about what men actually desire. I think men just kind of, if they like your tragedy, they don't care what the fuck you text them in some ways <laughs> for, for most of them. For women, I noticed that it's either they want to like talk to you for a while and to feel safe in some way. And yeah. others just want a, a date set up fast. That's like a tough line to manage. You know, when, when do I actually ask him out for a date or when do I like give him space to feel comfortable through, through texting? Yeah. Great point. Yeah. You could ask him. <laughs> Are you the kind of person who uh, good, good point. needs a while to figure out whether they want to go out or are you the type of person who would like rather just like get it over with and like go have a cup of coffee, you know? I think Again, you, like your game is just, game's the wrong word but your strategy is just to yeah, 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 just fully yeah. be as honest as you can to a, to a fault yeah, yeah yeah oh i'm confused like are you the type of person like wait do you not want me to ask you out or are you you know do you... it's funny because like my girlfriend we met on a thursday on on hinge and on we uh, uh, a thursday night and then we had coffee the next day at noon right so like you know, and then other people, it's taken them much longer to feel comfortable enough. How'd so that play out? I definitely give it like a witty first line. Do you just say, Hey, what's up? Like, how did that actually, what did that she message like? me? She, so she messaged me. I, I was in the Bay area and I decided, I, I decided to do something new. I was like, you know what? Um, I'm not gonna swipe. I'm going to see who swipes on me. And she swiped on me and there was a photo of me in a hot spring. And she was like, Oh, have you been to this hot spring? And I was like, I, I was like, yes, but not in a long time. And then I think what I said was we're looking for, so this is a hot spring. I'm not going to tell people where it is, but uh, it only shows up at low tide. Right. So for most of the month it's underwater, right. It's on the, it's on the coast, but at super low tide, uh, it appears there's a hot spring. So she says, have you ever been to this hot spring? And I said, um, yeah, but not in a long time. We're looking for low tide, right? So already we collectively, me and her are looking for low tide so that we can go to this hot spring together at some point. Um, so already I've like, I've like asked her to be a collaborator in a future plan. And then she was like, well, I don't know. It seems like you're the pro. And then we just chatted uh, and then we, and then we met up. You know, and it was sort of like, a, I don't know if it was a love at first sight, but it was a really sweet connection. And we both had space and a desire to keep to keep it going. That's what I kind of noticed yeah. is that with my exes or girls that have gone well with, it just kind of been um, an easy rapport where it wasn't forced. Yeah. It just kind of happened naturally. Yeah. Whenever I haven't, whenever anything ever felt forced, even in the beginning, it's almost never led to anything good. Even if I got the person, it was just an ego thing. It wasn't like actual like good connection in a way what's your take on that like whether like the level the line between like forcing versus letting it happen what's how do you play that line and when's what's like the right way to go about it i think for the most part early stage relationships should be easier than not right it should flow relatively well there should be a mutual desire to get together it shouldn't be like pulling teeth to get information or to get a meet like it there should be a mutual desire to to, to connect Right. And so I think for the, for the most part, it should be easier than not. Um, I think both people should be making an effort um, to get together, to spend time, to come up with dates together. I mean, I know some women that are like, 
I don't want to do any of the planning because I want someone who's, you know, a leader. And it's like, all right, that's fine if that's what you want. And then maybe there are, you know, maybe you're going to be partnered up with someone who is a natural leader and is going to want to take the lead on this stuff. But I think that for the most part, we should be sharing and co-creating this stuff and that it shouldn't be pulling teeth. If you're super confused, if they keep flaking, if it just feels harder than it needs to be, it's probably a good sign that it's not a good match. Yeah. Uh, that that being said, I have I I know friends that like for a long time when they were dating were like actually kind of ambivalent about each other. Um, and now they're you know happily married with kids and you know it was just like kind of a weird way to get together. So I, I want there to be space for their, for this stuff, but I think at the uh, I think at the at the end of the day, what we're looking for is kind and caring people to be physically intimate with or emotionally mm-hmm. romantically intimate with, right? So kind people to be intimate with. That's yeah, what we're looking it's, for. That's a key point because you're literally handing your heart to someone, even if you like them. And the fact that we're handing it so easily to, I don't mean this so judgmentally, but like pretty fucked up people don't care about us. Is again, it's a crazy thing to think about that we're just handing our well-being and our feelings to someone who doesn't even give a fuck about us, like immediately. We don't, we don't even think about it that way. Like this person has the power to destroy us make us yeah yeah and and we just given it away so easily i think that's a beautiful point i mean i think that some people just have the 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 trauma background yeah. where they are attracted to what they know and unfortunately they've had a really um difficult painful uh re- relationship to other people um where they kind of seek that stuff out because that's the devil they know right yeah. and if they were to be the, be with someone who was kind and caring, loving and sweet all the time. Uh, I'd be a boner killer. They wouldn't trust it. They'd feel super, super, super uncomfortable. I heard Marianne Williamson say that emotionally available people are frightening because they are there to explore intimacy with you. And if you are not, and you haven't healed some of your stuff or you don't have experience with it, it's going to scare the fucking shit out of you. Yeah. For sure. And so it's easier to be with someone who's gaslighting or who's toxic or, you know, where there's a ton of drama because you know how that works. You've been there before. The other stuff, the sitting with presence, with emotion, with kind, caring, positive regard, with sweet, loving words, like with people being disappointed in you, but choosing to stay like that stuff can be really, really challenging for a lot of people. It's also the reality is that unless you had a super secure connection and amazing parents in any way, like you're going to have to, in my experience, in my own life and also witnessing other people's romantic journey, most people kind of have to go through that experience over and over again of the drama, of all the bullshit, of the trauma bonds in order to finally be at a place where they're like, fuck this shit. I can't keep doing this. It's like, uh, it's tough because it, it, it's, it's painful, but it, it ultimately leads us here. So all those people that you may be attracting aren't available for you are still in that dance. They still haven't figured it out yet. They still need more experience to get them there. And you know, they're not ready for you yet in some way. Yeah. It's funny. I, I have a friend that like I've wanted to date on and off, like ever since we met and there was like some attraction there and I was totally available for it. And she wasn't. And I talked to her recently about it and she was like, dude, I totally wasn't healthy enough to date you. <laughs> like I couldn't see that you were just like a healthy, you know, healthy ish dude wanting to date me. I was still stuck in my little trauma, you know, trauma patterns or toxic bonds. And, 
she was like, yeah, I think our, our time has passed, you know, like we're, we're in new relationships now. And so, uh, it was just really interesting to hear that she was like, I wasn't healthy enough for you. Do you think, do you think the rules are different in purely sexual relationships in the sense of like, rules? like, do you really need like, um, this is what I think this way. I mean, I don't, I don't practice in theory, but like, if it's just purely physical, do you need the same like requirements of like feeling safe, kindness, all these things, or, or could you kind of sacrifice if it's purely physical? Well, yeah, you can for sure. I mean, it doesn't mean that you won't have any painful repercussions because of it. Yeah. Right. Like I think that whenever you enter into that space, uh, even if it's casual, uh, doesn't mean that you won't be affected in some way. Right. And I also think that like for women, sexes um, can be more, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like it's a, it's an act of, of, of like the, the, the female, the feminine receives, right. Whereas the Mac, the masculine sort of penetrates. And so you end up taking more energetically as a woman than you do as a man for the most mm -hmm. part. Um, so I think that the stakes are a little bit higher for women when it comes to casual sex. I'm not saying that there aren't like a ton of super empowered women that are just like, yeah, I just want to have sex and I'm, this is, this is what it is. And I'm totally open to that. That's, that's fine. Um, but I think there are still some lingering effects of the sex. Um, and also I, you know, I think we do need safety, hmm. right? I mean, paradoxically, I think the lack of safety is also a huge turn on. Right. Or lack of, of like for sure safety. Like I know this person is safe. It could be like, I think this person is safe. I hope this person is safe. Um, that can be kind of a turn on, right. Cause it's a little bit of a taboo thing. Um, but yeah, the rules are a little different. Yeah. If you're, if you're looking to just connect, I, I think that it's possible to have casual, but intimate sex. Right. Yeah. Just because there isn't an attachment there and there and there might not be an attachment there doesn't mean that we can't show up with intimacy and presence and kindness and all that kind of stuff that can make an, a, a, a casual sexual relationship very exciting. Right. Because there's also yeah. an element of novelty in there. Yeah. What does honesty look like in the in the bedroom? Let's let's go there now, because it's such a and strange concept that we're getting so intimate and bubble nuggles with someone and being naked emo emotionally physically and we just don't say anything we just go into it expecting that it'll be magical and perfect in some way and that we have the same it's a weird thing that we never communicate most people don't communicate in that way they just jump in and expect things to, to go swimmingly which is never the case usually yeah i mean if it, the issue with the with this with not talking about sex is the more you the more you don't talk about it, the harder it becomes to talk about it. So if you talk to long-term married couples that don't talk about sex, they didn't start off talking about sex, right? So I, again, early and often, that's, that's my, that's my motto. I should have that. I should have a tattoo that says early and often. Um, there's a fun game that I've played before with many people called desires, fears, and boundaries. And you could do this on a first hookup, right? Um, is to sit down and take a moment to be like, okay, I'd love to play this game called Desires, Fears, and Boundaries. This is, I wouldn't say this is an advanced move. Like in my communities, this is a pretty standard thing. Um, but basically you take turns sharing, what do you want? Uh, what are you scared of? And what's what do you not want, right? And so that might look like, um, okay, my desires are for us to spend like a really beautiful 
uh, connected, you know, candle filled three hours where we explore each other's bodies. My fear is that I haven't done this in a while and that it might be a little clunky and that you might think that I'm like not smooth and cool. And my boundaries is like, please don't touch my butt. I'm like super sensitive about that. Right. So, and then the other person can be like, oh, okay. Um, my desire is that we actually do like, we give each other massages for like a half hour first that aren't, that isn't sexual, just like fun massage. Um, my fear is that like I've gained some weight since COVID and that I'm not like super attractive. And my boundary is um, no penetration because I'm on my period. So that's what that might look like. This is like, you know, that's sort of an esoteric or a more of a, a new age uh, practice, if you will. Um, but that that could be what radical honesty in a, in a casual sexual relationship looks like. Sure, yeah, I think it's, I noticed that I'm young, I'm 24. So I think people my age, I'm like you, I'm super honest and willing to talk about trauma, all this shit that, but people my age are just like this, they're allergic to this shit. The younger you are, the more yeah. allergic you are to the stuff. It's so, it's frustrating for me because I, I end up getting attracted to like 30 year olds and stuff because they can actually be receptive to this stuff. So why do you yeah. think young people are so bad at this stuff? Like they're so resistant to being honest. It's like the younger you are, the more obsessed you are with playing games and just winging it and being turned off to honesty and, and um, yeah. I don't know if it's an age thing. Okay. I mean, I don't spend a lot of time with 24 year olds, but um, <laughs> I don't know that it's an age thing. I, I think, I, I think we are losing the, the power of, of honest communication, but look, man, I just did this retreat with, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 year olds, and they're all struggling with this stuff too. Mm. So I just don't want to say it's 24 year olds you know, or like, I think people are just really scared of being honest and it's not, it's like, it's like, yeah, okay. There's fear. And then there's like, Oh, I don't have the language. Honestly, I don't know what to say. If you showed me what to say, I would be able to say it. And during this retreat, you know, we had some people that were like, I never talk about this stuff and just doing it for five minutes felt so good. Right. So I think it's, I think it is fairly universal. Um, I think if you're super sex positive and you have a ton of experience uh, having sex and talking about consent and talking about sexual health, then this is going to come easier for you. Mm -hmm. But I remember like the, one of the reasons I started this work was that like I got HPV, I got warts when I was like 16. And so I had to talk about sexual health before having sex with every single one of my partners, except for a few at the beginning there when I was kind of fumbling around, I didn't really know how to do this stuff. And I was like really ashamed. Um, I had to have a conversation about sexual health with everybody right off the bat before having sex with them. And so that forced me to have these conversations. And most of the experiences I had were fantastic. People were like, oh my God, thank you so much for telling me. Like, if you hadn't brought this up, I don't think we would have talked about it. Um, so I think why the why is that we don't have the language. We're not shown how to do it. And we don't have a lot of experience practicing it. Like what, what's the, there's a statistic that like, you know, 60% of men below 30 haven't had sex in over a year. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, there's just aren't that many opportunities to be practicing this stuff. And so if you're in that situation and you have to be honest about your sexual health or something, you face the fact that if you're honest and they don't like what you're saying, they might not sleep with you. So you're facing 
the reality of maybe not having sex when this is the closest you've been to having sex in a long time, I could understand why people are just going to be like, I'm just going to shut my mouth and like, let's get, let's get laid. You know, no, thanks for, for sharing that. Cause it's, you know, there's so much uh, sexual shame nowadays. There's always been like, there's so much, I think that's what causes it is that these shameful things end up creating it. Like for me, I, when I was younger, I experimented with, I'm, I'm, fully straight now but when i was younger i experimented you know sexually with some with some boys and i that kind of stuck with me for so long i repressed it my parents told me not to talk about it and then that fucked me up for so long i was addicted to like the shame of it i was addicted to tying sex with feeling ashamed and then that would lead me to just not talk about things and it was an empowering experience just to like be able to say this openly and publicly and that that had a massive effect of then me actually being honest in my sexual life like being able to say what i want things it's all connected yeah. Were you a boy at the time? Yeah, I, I was, I was young. Yeah. I was, I was around seven or eight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did the same thing and, and it's like super normal, like yeah. natural childhood development is like playing with like kids your age, whether yeah. same sex or different sex, but, but like so much shame wrapped around that. Yeah. I mean, I had the similar experience. Um, and I even like experimented with dudes like as an adult, because I was like, am I gay? I'm, I might be gay. I don't know. Like, so I went to like, I like, you know, went to a couple sex parties and there was like a couple dudes. I definitely gave a couple blowjobs and I was like, yeah, that was like interesting. You know, like that was like a fun experience, but it was like, felt a little bit like sucking on an elbow. Like it just wasn't a turn on, like mechanically, it just didn't do it for me. Um, and I tell people that they're like, they're like, no straight guy would ever blow a dude. Like a real straight guy knows he's straight. Because <laughs> I, I posted about this, actually. Somebody asked me if I was bisexual. And I said, no, but I did blow a couple guys just to find <laughs> out if I was. And there's like so much, uh, so many comments of people being like, you can't be straight if you blew a dude. Real straight dudes, no. And they're like, wait, you needed to blow a couple dudes? Like you couldn't just do it once? Like... I like to I like to do everything like two or three times just to make sure, you know. Um and there's just a lot of internalized homophobia, a lot of like sex shaming. Um people are really sex negative. I mean, religion comes into play here. Um and it's too bad. Really, it's too bad cuz sex can be super fun. It can be light, it can be playful. It can be an opportunity to heal old wounds. Um it's a really intimate space to connect from. There's just, there could be so much beauty in sex. And unfortunately, um, you know, I mean, what's unfortunate is that not everybody has access to it. Right? Yeah. I wonder on there. in myself, like I'm one of those people, it's like, for me, like no, no ass play. And I think for me, it's, it's some kind of internalized homophobia from my experiences in the past. I definitely think it's, it's sure. tied. talking to you now. It's like, that probably is, it's what's going on in some way that I'm so resistant to it because of some, you know, internalized homophobia from my past. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you want to, if you ever want some recommendations, let me know. I got a ton <laughs> of fun toys that you and your female partners can play with um, that can bring a lot of pleasure. I think, yeah, the ass play is, is like really fun. It's not for everybody. Um, some people like getting penetrated. Some people like a little bit of rimming action. Like there's just like so much available there and it doesn't really mean anything, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think a homosexual act is like, when two men are having sex, like that's a homosexual act, but like actual ass play, like if it's done with a woman in a heterosexual context and it's, there's nothing homosexual about it. Right. It's just like another thing in our toolbox of like things that might bring pleasure. 
Um, not to mention that the prostate is located like, you know, in your ass. So that's basically the male G spot, um, which I've experimented with and I still can't, I'm just like, eh, it doesn't feel that good. You know, like, again, like I've tried a bunch of things to see if I would like them because I also like novel experiences and I'm like, yeah, that doesn't do it for me. You know, like I've tried it. It's just not as pleasurable as some people make it out to be personally speaking. Um, so I think it's fun. Like sex is a really, like can be super creative, right? It can be really like a space to play. The problem is that I think we like just get stuck in our routines, just doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Um, and you kind of have to combat that, right? You have to combat the rut of anything in life, right? Sex, gym, you know, your gym routine that, you know, you've been doing for two years, it's just like easy and does the job, but it's not, you know, it's probably not giving you gains anymore. Um, so just like a gym routine in sex, you got to switch it up every now and then. Were you always this open with your, by yourself and, you know, your desires and stuff? I think so. I mean, I, I think probably not to the, to this extent, but like I, when I talk about this stuff, I don't feel any shame anymore. Whereas in the past I would, I would say something that I'd look at how they react and now I just don't care how people react. I mean, I'm also 40 years old. Like I, I remember someone telling me in early sobriety. So when I was like, I got sober when I was 25, um, someone was like, what other people think of you is none of your business. And I, and that was like groundbreaking, revolutionary. This idea that like how people see me or what they think about me doesn't fucking matter. doesn't even necessarily need to affect me, right? And there's a lot of freedom in that. It's like, oh shit, like, okay, actually what's more important is how I think of myself, right? Am I acting in integrity? Am I acting in line with my values, with my ethics, with my morals, with what I feel is right for me as a person? That's more important than what you think of me or what my friends think of me or my family thinks of me. Right? And that's a superpower in dating itself because it helps you, you know? 100%, huge. I think there's like right? this because you're like, oh, they don't like me. You're like, yeah. well, you know, they're lost, I guess. We have this weird, I have this like, you know, sometimes it's this egoistic expectation that like, you know, I can be super egoistic and cocky in many ways. And that's been kind of my, my crutch in the past that, you know, I expect myself to be like, you know, I should be that guy who never gets rejected. And you think of like, you know, James Bond or, or you know, guy in Californication, people in movies and shit who just like get any girl they want. And in, in my mind or other men's minds or people's minds would be like, you know, if I was good, I'd then get no rejection. But I think it's basically impossible to some degree to to really put yourself out there and, and not face any rejection nowadays. Yeah. And the point is not to not face rejection. It's not take that rejection so personally. Right. I uh, I used to talk about this, the Hawaiian pizza principle, the idea that like some people are a Hawaiian pizza and like people have really strong feelings about Hawaiian pizza. You know, it's like either you fucking love it or you hate it. And so if you think of yourself as a Hawaiian pizza, um, some people are just not going to like it. And, mm -hmm. and, and your goal isn't to change the kind of pizza that you are, right? It's to just be the most fucking Hawaiian pizza you could be. Cause some people fucking love it. They cannot get enough. That is the only pizza they eat. Right. So I just like this idea of like, just be you, be the best you that you can be and allow people to come and love that version of you and also allow people to not and that that's perfectly okay. And it doesn't mean that you need to change who you are. Just be who you are, right? As long as you're nice, like be nice. Don't be an asshole. 
don't be an asshole. I, mean, I guess if you're listening to the new age sage, you're probably not an asshole, <laughs> right? Like I can't imagine your audience. Um, but you might, you might, you might be cocky, right? And actually, as you said that, I was thinking there's a fine line between cocky and confident. For sure. Yeah. Confident, I feel is just more quiet. You know, it's it's um where you don't feel like you're actually better than anybody. There's a there's a a humility to confidence that cocky lacks. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I agree. And going back to the point of, you know, rejection, it's I think with, with dating apps, it's even trickier because if you really take rejection seriously and you have, you know, thin skin in that way, which is okay. I, I, I did too and still do in some ways. It's tough because most people on those apps um, are just there just to fuck around or to get validation. So they're not even there to talk with you. And and secondly, even if someone does talk to you and they stop answering, you then think it's you, but they've only seen two sentences of you. <laughs> they've only seen yeah. like you saying, hey, what's up? You look good in that dress. And then you take that as like they don't like everything about me, my whole life, my whole identity but we still assume that it's this strange place to be in nowadays yeah i've gotten ghosted on dating apps and it's it's tough like i still especially if you're in the place of like really wanting to connect with someone and you're just like god damn it like you know it's like fishing right you're fishing and you got a bite and then the fucking you lose the fish because maybe you pulled on it too hard or maybe because it wasn't ever fully hooked or maybe because the fish was like you know wily little fish um you could be disappointed right it's okay to be disappointed um, I remember after a big breakup some years ago, I was finally getting ready to like date again. And I met this woman and we had plans to meet up to go hiking. And she straight up like stood me up, stood me up plus ghosted, did not show up. First date um, that I was the, that like, was maybe eight, nine months after my breakup. And I'm like, I'm a love coach. I'm like, what the fuck? You're going to fucking stand me up, you know? And I was super disappointed. And I went on the hike anyways. And on the hike, I met a woman. And I was like, you won't guess what happened. I totally got stood up, but I decided to go anyways. She was like, cool. I'm so glad you're here. And then we went on a fucking hike and we became friends, right? Like you just never know what's going to happen or how connections are going to form or or what's going to, how people are going to show up in your life. Um. And getting ghosted and, and getting rejected still does sting, and that's okay. It's normal. What's what's your take on ghosting? It's fucking terrible, man. I don't. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, and it's here to stay. It's here to stay. You know, like what what drives me more crazy is how people haven't gotten to the point where they know that this is how people end relationships. Sometimes, right? Like they still expect. I think it's it's like. I feel bad saying it, but I think it's like we sort of have to just expect that people are going to ghost nowadays. That's just where we're at. And it's too bad. It's um, There's a lot of pieces to ghosting. There's an inability to want to confront a hard conversation. There's yeah, this yeah. inability to want to be present for someone else's pain or disappointment. There is wanting to save face, right? There is wanting to spare somebody the pain of a breakup when actually you're causing them even more pain because there's a there's a lack of closure and confusion uh my most watched video on tiktok has four or five million views and it's me saying instead of ghosting just say i had a nice time with you this isn't the connection that i'm looking for take care and the comments are 
wild. You know, you've got half the people saying like, oh my God, that's way too long. You've got the other half saying, I would love to have heard this. Then you have people saying, ew, gross, ghost me. I would rather you ghost me than than have to listen to that garbage, right? So ghosting is sad. It's unfortunate. I think it's here to stay. Um, I don't think we're going to be able to teach everybody how not to ghost. Um, I think that actually ghosting has some value. If you are, specifically if you are a woman for the most part, um, and you do not feel safe telling the dude that you're dating that you can't date them anymore, if you fear for your safety, then you should absolutely ghost, Mm -hmm. right? Because some guys do not take rejection well. Some people uh, are going to argue with you if you tell them that you don't want to see them anymore. They're gonna they're gonna be like, "Why we? You said that you really loved me, or you said that you had fun with me. How could you go from that to this?" Right. So there are some totally valid cases for ghosting. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's you touched upon it, but to me, it's uh, we don't want to feel responsible for someone else's pain. That we don't want to sit with that and feel that and and be with the thoughts and things that come with that. And that actually ends up causing us more pain and us more like less belief in ourselves and our ability to traverse pain. Um, it, it's tough. Like I, I see its use in like maybe like when you just meet someone and it just doesn't work out. But when it's like you, someone likes you and you like them, it's just it's a strange thing. It's also this thing of not this wounding and dating. It's like the courage to not be liked. Like you don't want to make someone not like you, and you feel like they're going to like you less if you say that. In some way, yeah. like if, if I say to someone, hey, didn't go well, I'm sorry, you know, all this stuff, you're basically telling them, you're giving them the invitation to not like you even more. And for some reason, our egos can't take that. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's hard to sit with someone's pain and disappointment. I think that that's not a tool that we have, you know, readily available to just like hold space for someone and to just be like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not feeling it anymore. Yeah. That, that, seems like that hurts and I understand. And that's, that's where we're at. Hard, super hard. I mean, who said breaking up was supposed to be easy and comfortable? It's not, but we like, we need to do hard stuff, right? We we need to do hard things. We need to like build up a little bit of that tolerance for discomfort. Yeah. I've noticed it in my my story. You know, I, I used to be my college days, you know, serial fuck boy. That's my, you know, in the past. And Nice. Um, got over it thankfully but it was it was basically me not being honest not stating you know i had like a was it like a i don't want to say roster but like a, a lot of women who were interested in me and i couldn't tell them what i wanted it was like this <clears throat> me just kind of going about it and being liking them a lot and then having to expect a relationship all of them and then me kind of n- never want to say that i can't do that and then all of them end up hating me at, at, at one point and it was that exact thing is that I just can't, can't deal with disappointing someone. I can't sit with that yeah. pain. I can't sit with the fact of someone not liking me. You're not, we're not perceiving me as a nice guy. I think that's what will fuck me. And then me breaking away from that is now being like, I just have to be honest. I have to, I'd rather, you know, cause you the pain now rather than be, you know, down the line. Yeah. And if, you don't, if you don't think I'm a nice guy, then so be it. I couldn't care less because I know I'm, I'm a good person deep down. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like a lot of the things that we're talking about are all super interconnected, right? What other people think of me is none of my business as long as I know that I'm a good person. Um, I think we, you know, growing up when we disappointed our parents, we were usually like severely punished Mm. for it. 
And now that we're adults, like we sort of take that experience, internalize it. We think that's what's going to happen. Um, but it's not, it's just like, you just got to sit with somebody's discomfort a little bit, which is in in of itself just uncomfortable. And, you know, at the, at the beginning, you asked me why I did this work, what prompted it. And I don't think I was fully honest with you. As a young man, I wanted to have sex and I didn't understand why we, I couldn't just say, I just want to have sex mm-hmm. without pissing people off. And I realized that actually, oh, there, you can say that because there are people who also just want to have sex. So find those people. And the best way to find those people is to be like, I'm not available for anything serious. I'm, I'm totally looking to explore a sexual connection with you. If that's what you're down, if you're down with that, sweet. And if you're not, like I totally get it. Awesome. I just want to be honest about like where I'm at, you know? And even to, to the extent of saying like, this might just be one time, which yeah. is like kind of hard to say. Like I might only want to have sex with you once, but that's the reality. And if that's what you want, cool. We're like in the fucking clear. You know, there's clarity around this and it's going to feel really good. It's going to feel very empowered. Um, and that's a beautiful space to connect from. How, how soon do you say that? Though? Like, How fast do you reveal those cards? How immediate is it? If once you know the deal. Uh, I mean, before you have sex. Okay. First of all, you give them, you know, you give them the information that they need to make an informed decision about whether to move forward with you. Same thing with sexual health right? This is my, this is what I know of my sexual health this is the last time I was tested. Um, I have herpes. Um, I take medicine for it, uh, but there's always a risk and then let them figure it out. Right. So, I mean, uh, you could put it on your dating app, just looking for something casual, you know, not looking for something serious. I wrote on my dating app, casually looking for something serious, which is, like, this is what I'm looking for. Yeah. Okay, I don't fucking know most of the time. <laughs> like, it depends on the person and where I'm at, you know, and how that reacts. So I, I can't go into being like, I need this. It's much more like what I feel with the person itself in a way. You know? Yeah, you can, you could write that. You could say like, you know, I'm looking for something serious, but I'm open to all sorts of different experiences with the right person. Yeah. Well, uh, I wanted to end with this, with this question of if you were to get all the single people right now in, in the world and you could tell them one thing to create abundance and a beautiful experience of romance. What's one thing they have to know to create that reality? Um, there are, there are many people out there that you can have a beautiful, loving relationship with. There are, it's not just one. Um, but there are, there are a few people, there are many people out there that you can be with. Right. So just, Good luck in finding them, you know, go out, go out and find them. And that they are, they are there and that any person who isn't that will get you closer to them in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Even like, even in like, um, even if you like someone, what I've noticed is that I don't, I don't believe in, in, in the one I do in some, to some extent, but I believe in like ones to get to the one in a way, even though there's there's no one, I believe in the, like each romantic situation and the lessons you learn from it prepare you for your eventual wife or whatever is that all these situations are creating us or molding us or chiseling us to be the right person for our eventual person, even ourselves. Yeah. And the one is the person that you choose. Yeah. And hopefully they choose you too. And then boom, party's over or the party's just begun actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on, especially like just, 
there's a massive healing power in you just being open sexually as a man, as a, as a you know straight man. It's really beautiful to see because it even helps me with my my you know toxic masculine shit to be able to open up and, and say these things. So you're doing a lot of, of powerful, beautiful work, and I, I just want to say thank you and see you for that. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on here. I I also have a podcast called the Love Drive Podcast, and I interview a lot of people about this stuff. About I share my experiences about my first sex party, which is like really fun, and then I interview the person that I slept with at the sex party, which like is so wild to be like, oh, this is how I thought it went down, and then you ask her, and she's like, no, it went down like this, you know? Yeah. Um. So I've got a lot of episodes on that. I've got a lot of solo episodes on uh, STIs, on how to talk about sexual health, on just on my philosophies around love and relationships. Great. And where can people find you beyond that? Uh, the Love Drive podcast and the Love Drive on Instagram and um, SeanGalanos.com for any sort of courses. I have courses on uh, emotional availability, healthy communication, uh, flirting, confidence, modern dating, all that kind of stuff. Great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it again. Um, yeah, Lucas, thanks for having me. Of course. Great. Have a good one, Matt. 